This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the European Show. I'm your host Mo Stewart and I'm very pleased to be joined by La Liga TV's expert Graham Hunter and we're going to be going over the Champions League week because we are in the middle of the Champions League. We've had the first week, we've got another week to come up. So Graham, how has it been for you? I mean, for us Liverpool fans, we were waiting a long time for the Champions League to come back and uh, well, for us it didn't disappoint. How was it for everyone else? All right, Mighty Mojo. Um, yeah, look, interesting in, in lots of different ways. It's ever since I've been supporting a football club, Aberdeen, uh, there was something about European matches that meant more to me. Nobody told me so. I was growing up in an era where they weren't broadcast wall to wall, and for some reason, Europe always um, was was the the competition where you proved yourself. It tickled me, and therefore, when the Champions League is split. And you don't get a banquet; you just get pickings. Yeah. I, don't, I enjoy that quite so much. So there were only a couple of matches per night. Um, I much prefer when you've worked your game or you've watched your game, and then you've still got an absolute banquet after. Secondly, didn't the Europa League show the Champions League up? <laughs> I mean, not if you're a Liverpool fan, but if we're talking broad brush, mm-hmm. the Europa League was just extraordinary. So much fun, so much skill. So many goals, shocks galore. I mean, I'm an Aberdeen fan, but to see Celtic beaten at home by even Bodo Glimt, um, to see Rangers go to Dortmund and score freely like that, just extraordinary. She asked me how my week was, probably at the at the top of, of the week, I'd say that, you know, for somebody who adores Spanish football, more, it was embarrassing to see the way Real played in Paris. They um, they let themselves down in almost innumerable ways, although I suppose you and I are going to go on and count them. And whether it's by personality or by what I've been taught over my years in Spain, I came away from Camp Nou really having enjoyed my work there. Um, I'm not a Barca fan. I happen to live in the city and, and I've been fortunate enough to be allowed close to the, the greatest era in that, or maybe maybe even the greatest era in Spanish football in terms of band for band quality. So I, I, I've been taught to, to appreciate the, the process as much as the end result. So one one at home to Napoli for Barcelona wasn't on the scale of, of where's the disaster level, but it leaves them vulnerable to be going out. Yet you saw that night the changes that have been affected, the way in which certain players have been integrated and the pace of football that they played compared to, for example, the sedentary pace that Romadid showed in Paris. And that's very much the watchword for the new European vanguard. Whether you want to play direct football or you want to play passing and possession football, the speed of thought, the speed of movement has changed rapidly, year by year. And therefore, overall, overall, it was a very satisfying European week, but with provisos. Of course, and I think it's it's really important you bring up the, the Europa League stuff because we tend to concentrate on Champions League, particularly as Liverpool fans, that's where our focus lies. But everything you were saying there about the excitement that 
I watched the Europa League when they had the six or seven games on at once and they had the Europa League and the Conference League back to back. And it was, you were able to kind of go from one game to another. It was the excitement and it was the fact that none of these games were decided. I mean, sometimes you see in Champions League games, I think particularly the Man City sporting result, where you think, okay, well, this game's pretty much decided half an hour into the two-legged tie. But for all of those Europa League games, and maybe it's because at that level, everyone is a little bit closer. There's a lot more excitement, intrigue and drama to the very last minute. Yeah, I, I think there are fewer disparities, massive disparities in the Europa League. It tends to not be where the clubs with mega, mega budgets end up. And certainly I'm somebody who, who believes in... I think the Champions League largely is very well constructed. I was wholly, wholly passionately, angrily against the Super League. Mm. And I'm one of those who's old enough to remember the way in which the European Cup was played, which was often stultifyingly boring, um, particularly if you were defending away after a home win and there was no play, no intent at play. Um, it just happens to be a fact that several of the European Cup finals at Liverpool were involved in were atrocious. So it was the second Nottingham Forest European Cup final win. Magical. I remember being excited, hugely pleased that they won. But um, if we if we look at the game against Roma in Rome or the Paris Saint-Germain game in Madrid or the the Nottingham Forest Hamburg in, in the Bernabeu or, and, and there were at the Stade Bucharest Barcelona, they were, they were awful. And therefore the Champions League is is, you know, is I think it's genuinely marvellous, but I like lots of those who yearn for the days when you got the brand name teams of your youth still competing at the highest level. That's where I find my enjoyment in, in the Europa League. And I think that the fact that almost without exception, the Europa League quarters, semis and final have been excellent. It is a slog. It is a long competition. I understand certain fan bases, certain managers might worry about the damage it'll do to them domestically. Fine, make your choices. Don't bitch and moan, make your choices. Secondly, quarter semis finals have tended to be exceptional games of football, hugely exciting. I've been at two or three of them working and come away thinking that that's an indelible memory for me. But also the, the fact that people instantly go to Champions League qualification for the Europa League, fine. That's really, really important. Say particularly for a club that's in desperate straits right now and not used to them, Barcelona. <laughs> the likelihood is they go out this week. And if they do, then they've left with one option of getting into the Champions yeah. League via the league and that augments the drama. But the one thing that is continually misspoken about and that aggravates me and aggravated me much more when particularly in England at the beginning people like Europa League pish winning yeah winning is a habit lifting a trophy becomes a habit it becomes an addiction it becomes something that you can't let go it becomes something you train for hard in October and February winning that's a big deal more and that's why uh, it's one of the reasons that the Europa League still delights me. I think there was a certain uh, Norwegian who was previously in Manchester who will very much say that winning the Europa League is well worth doing because if he had won it, he may still be in a job. But 
we are we are a Liverpool podcast, so we should probably concentrate on the Liverpool. Yeah, you're you're at the wheel today, more. Not not <laughs> you're at the wheel. So, in Liverpool did the job in the San Siro for the second time in a couple of months. It was a a bit of a tight tactical game for most of the first seventy minutes or so. The substitutions came on and changed the game. And Liverpool were, in the end, kind of comfortable when you look at the result, even without the away goals benefit. How was it viewed further out? I mean, for the people in Spain, Liverpool, I, I, I don't know how exactly they would place us because obviously there was the games against Atletico this season where we looked good, but then against Real Madrid in last season's competition, it was a little bit ropey. So has our reputation on the continent been restored, do you think? By the win at San Siro, you mean? Well, just in general, are we considered in Spain a genuine contender mm. for the Champions League? Oh, without question. I think what you're toying with them, Mo, is the fact that for many who write in the media and therefore choose what messages are put out, what coverage is given, they were growing up in an era where Liverpool were dominant. And therefore, of all the teams in England, Liverpool like in, in Sweden, Norway, Denmark, the Far East, Liverpool will always be in the top two, three English sides in terms of regard, in terms of some people genuinely supporting them. Um, and therefore, when when you were at your finest, say, the best of Benitez, mm-hmm. as close as Brendan Rodgers came to winning the title, I'm now under, under clock. Liverpool get a lot of publicity. And they get a lot of coverage. Um, clearly, the fact that there are, there have been Spanish and South American players there on a relatively regular basis augments that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the, the coverage is so microscopic here that people follow every debate about, um, say, for example, whether the front, whether whether Mo and Sani get on together. Um, um, uh, Sadio Mane, get on together. Whether or not Jordan Henderson should have been given a new contract. The, these are debates that don't feature heavily in Spain, but the coverage is only just under that level. And therefore, uh, if you eliminate the nuances, Liverpool remain regarded as a team that can blow you away, partly because of the Barcelona display in the second leg, partly, but partly because they're perceived to play a hybrid brand of what I was going to say nobody plays in Spain now. Nobody plays successfully in Spain right now. There's massive merit in what Sevilla and Betis and Villarreal are capable of doing. But Betis don't play with the same power. They they play with a similar flow and front foot football, but there's there's nothing like the you know the thunder power that Liverpool get when when they're on fire. And neither Barcelona don't have anything like the physical attributes that Liverpool do, athletic attributes. And Real Madrid are, are purely, you know, they're they're just like a, a chess grandmaster now. It's like we will beat you by being two by being two three moves ahead, but don't ask us to run with you. If you nick the chess board, <laughs> if you nick the pawns and the and the rooks, we're not chasing you. No. So Liverpool stand out more is what I'm saying. They stand out. And, and if you leave, you'll recognise the description too. If you leave the nuances of daily stuff, which you cover and, and matter to you hugely, Liverpool haven't changed all that much in personnel. It has been noticed that there's a there's a 
sexy be Colombian doing the business up front now. Uh-huh. It, it has been noticed that an Iberian in, in Jota has made the front three compete for their places. These things get noticed. But broadly, if you think about the way in which Real Madrid have been able to do in into Milan in, in recent seasons and how Ansu Fati, I think, became the youngest Champions League scorer in history by by getting a goal against Inter in San Siro. I don't think it was mass surprise that Liverpool won against Inter. I think there's a deep understanding that when Conte left, he left because vital footballers were being sold from underneath him and the replacements weren't of the same quality. So there's an understanding that Inter are a grand name. Winning at San Siro is a is a notch on the bedpost. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But there's nobody in Spain that thinks that Inter are classic Inter right now. It's interesting what you said before about the way that Liverpool players are perceived, particularly the athletic ways, but also the respect that they're given. Because there have been a couple of our players who've been mentioned in dispatches in terms of the transfer to Spain. Uh, Even just yesterday, there was a new uh, article claiming that Real Madrid were very much interested in Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, permit me to use the old, I'm very interested in Rihanna, but that doesn't mean anything argument. Um, But also we've seen Roberto Firmino linked with Barcelona, uh, Joe Gomez again being linked with Real Madrid. Hold on on just a second, Phil, because I trust you that all of this has happened. And I don't know what language I can use on blood red. <laughs> oh, no, go nuts. <laughs> if you want to say yeah. it's all bollocks, please well, tell no, me. But, you know, I can't say that because I haven't read what you've read. But the, the standards now of what bullshit people will either publish, broadcast, or talk about on the internet is, is beyond belief. <laughs> Why would it be, if your team matters to you, that you involve yourself in the in fluttering your eyelashes at Rihanna when she's in a different continent. Mm. You know, that's really about the, the extent of it. It's not just wishing and, and you're never going to. It's like being in a disco in Stockport, flashing your eyelids at your eyelashes at Rihanna, and she's actually in LA. It's yeah. I, I I despair of of and I'm not being at all rude to you in that oh, no, of course. I refuse to talk about bullshit. Now Big transfers happen. Liverpool got footballers who um, would attract the eye in any club. Um, I don't think Mo Salah's renewed yet. Not yet, no. It's absolutely clear that Madrid's priority is to get Mbappe and then, if they can, Holland. If neither of those happens, where else do you go looking for world-class? Well, if Mo Salah isn't renewed by then... Let's talk about what Madrid might want. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Mo Salah entertained Diario Ass, one of the main Madrid sport football papers, in a hotel over in Lancashire, which um, I'm sure they didn't just bump into each other. And I'm pretty sure Liverpool didn't set it up. You know, everybody can draw a What was that about? What, you know, what was that about? You know, so look, um, and, and listen, I... I Maybe don't know Trent as well as you do, but I've met him, I've interviewed him. <laughs> Liverpool's his absolute passion. Yeah. If 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 I don't remember incorrectly, he he grew up in park football where you know a badly placed free kick would land the ball in Anfield. Pretty much. So, so. you know, let's not waste our time on on crap.
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I'm very glad you said that because I felt like I needed to mention it, but I was very much of that opinion as well that I'm hoping to be able to completely dismiss it. Now, it's funny you mentioned Real Madrid because it gives us the perfect opportunity to move into speaking about them. And there was the blockbuster game against PSG. We've already spoken about how they approached it and how disappointing it was. Um, there's been a lot of talk here in England about the abolition of away goals and whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea. I personally didn't think it would have a massive difference. Do you think that that came into Ancelotti's thinking in Paris? I'm glad you phrased it that way because, uh, number one, I'm a steadfast opponent. It's a terrible idea. I was working in UEFA on a day basis during the time that the Elite Coaches Seminar was held in September. And I saw managers like Ferguson and Wenger in a group of about 12, 15 men bitching and moaning about, well, you know, if if you're the home team and away goals and you're like... They sounded just like they honestly they sounded like they were just moaners and whiners and I thoroughly disbelieve that it's a good idea. Again, I'll go back to the idea that there was a time when the European Cup was massively prestigious and and you write your name in history forevermore if you've lifted that cup, even in that format. But the quality of football in the Champions League. What it's taught us, what it's changed us. We haven't the Champions League doesn't attract better footballers than Kenny Dalglish or Graham Souness. No. Your point about Ancelotti and his mindset was true almost every match, where people were like, "Don't play, concede the bare minimum. Entertainment is irrelevant. Winning is everything." And you can say that, you know, and, and and sound clever, but not when you're asking people to sit and watch stuff in the stadium or on television. Is it absolutely clear that's what was on Ancelotti's mind because there were no away goals? I'm uncertain, though. I don't know because. (laughs) What it could also look like, if you watch Real Madrid regularly, is the idea that they, um, they set up to play deep and then they play fast transitions, which, frankly... When Benzema is on form and Modric is on form and Vinicius is on form, they are one of the best, maybe they're the best counter-attack team in Europe. Now, would they be better than Chelsea on the storm or, or Liverpool on the storm in terms of the speed that they do things at and the power with which they do things? No, I'm not arguing that. But if you look at the, given that Real are not a particularly physical and not a particularly quick side, yeah. The speed of their brains and the speed of the passing is what maybe at their very best elevates them. So I wonder if what he thought was it would click on that day. But Modric hadn't been training or playing particularly well. And I said in the tunnel, I don't know if you saw the footage, he explained to Mbappe. Mbappe came up to him in the tunnel and was like, well, so you're here. So you're not still injured? And he said, I am a little bit, yeah. Mm. Pre-match. I mean, <laughs> come on. So, and what made it worse for him who didn't watch that game um, would be the fact that Benzema was still in Madrid's top three players, about 85% fit. Shocker. So, um, what was most frightening, I think, was that, um, or or on the night, Mm -hmm. was that even in possession, even unpressed, Madrid couldn't string three good passes together. 
Mm. It was it was a play where not only they were saved by by Courtois, they were saved by the fact that there was an imprecision in Paris Saint-Germain's final pass and <laughs> And once Neymar came on, it looked that if he'd come on and had been ready to come on 25, 30 minutes later, the margin would have been three because it was completely different. That ability to draw a man, beat a man, suddenly have space, and then one of the front three do something special in, this, in the assist pass of the goal. So there were lots of ways in which you, you thought, Madrid have got away with one here. And then you look at the fact that it took them an hour to click. I co-commentated on their defeat of Alaves, and Alaves are, are lowly Alaves, but it took them an hour or so to click. When they did click, you saw it coming back. Mm-hmm. The things that they do well, the confidence, the finishing, all of that was, was really interesting. And look at Paris Saint-Germain, ridiculed at home for their performance. <laughs> really taken to the cleaners in the first half. Neymar's horrendous penalty miss, uh, more pressure on Pochettino, much more pressure on Pochettino. Suddenly, unbelievably, um, the tie is a little bit alive. It's a a strange thing because I think Real Madrid are one of those teams where, in Europe in particular, if you don't put them away when you get the chance, you live to regret it. And PXC have done that and they've lived to regret it against other teams in the past as well. I mean, obviously, the, the 6-1 against Barcelona springs immediately to mind. But that's part of the reason why they haven't won this trophy so far, isn't it? It is part of the reason. That's right. Um, when I think against City, for example, they didn't take their chances. They didn't impose themselves when they had superiority. And then I spoke to Pep at the end, of, just for the final, I interviewed him, not spoke to him, pardon me, I interviewed him. And he was saying, yeah, little tiny details, because if I don't remember wrongly, the free kick, which I think was De Bruyne, takes a deflection up, part de France. And so you're right, in general, if if you don't tuck Madrid away, if you don't tuck good rivals away in the Champions League, it punishes you. Um, and, and the thing that deters me from saying that the tie is now definitely back in the hands of Real Madrid. Um, would be would be two specific factors. One, they're going to be missing Mondi and Casemiro, who are both suspended. Mm-hmm. That's those are those are horrible losses. And if Paris Saint Germain managed to keep the front three fit and get them on form, then the degree to which Real Madrid have to push for you know two clear goals. To, to win if they don't want to go to penalties, leaves them open to what Paris Saint-Germain do do very well. And I saw them at Camp Nou last season, probably in December, last group game. And I think it was, or was it the knockout? Pardon me, it was the, it was the first knockout game, pardon me, yeah. uh, last season when they came to Camp Nou and they won 3-0 and it was, it was fabulous. It was gorgeous. The power and the intelligence and the way they sucked Barcelona and then counterpunched them. It was absolutely brilliant to watch. And Mbappe is a phenomenon. So, on balance, I still think Paris Saint Germain are favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, like, like you said, they're an odd club and they didn't have a silver bullet at Parc de France. Yeah, I mean, my last point on this we might be setting ourselves up for a really weird scenario where Mbappe scores in the Bernabeu to knock out Real Madrid and the Real Madrid fans are all applauding because it's like, this is good. Hopefully now you're going to come and see us. Yeah, look, no, I, I, 
I wouldn't want to pretend that I'm in the middle of that negotiation or that following transfer transfer moves like uh, the Pinkerton Detectives is my thing anymore. <laughs> but um, from it having looked crystal clear that there was only one destination for Mbappe, there has been informed, um, what would you call it, commentary that Florentino Perez was irate at the image that Rounded left behind, given that money alone isn't what will persuade Mbappe about where to go on freedom of contract. So if you took a hard look, or if Leonardo or indeed the, the, the owner, the president of Paris Saint-Germain, Paris Saint-Germain next day at training, Camp de Lodge comes to him and says, is that the football you want to play next season? Are you sure? Did you see them? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> it undermined Ramadan's image. And given that there's a queue you know, the world long, including your club, that want yes. Mbappe, it didn't help. It didn't help at all. And if Paris Saint-Germain go there and, and run riot and Mbappe scores, maybe it changes his mind not one whit. This is where I want to be. Um, I want to play with Benzema, I want to play for Los Blancos, I came so close before, they were my idols, but fine. And they're paying me 700000 a week, whatever. Yeah. Okay, good luck, good luck. Is is his move there as sure as it felt before the Parc de France game? No, I don't think so. Hmm. Well, well, I mean, we were probably all going to be watching that game, the second leg anyway, but I think we'll be watching every single one of us will be turning into uh, body <laughs> Now, before I leave you, I wanted to touch on the other Anglo-Spanish clash that's happening this week, a preview. Atletico Madrid against Manchester United. Two teams whose league season is certainly not panning out as they'd hoped it would or how they'd expected it would be this summer. Uh, both finding themselves in a real battle to qualify for this competition next season. Um, where in Spain do you think they are rating Atletico's chances in this tie? I'm not going to talk about them as chances of winning the trophy, but just in this tie against Manchester United, because these are two very hard teams to read at the moment. Yeah, nicely said. They're a chameleon. Um, when they're on form and say nearly everybody's fit. You, you, you very rarely get the top teams where you say everybody's fit. Let's say you get a, a normal percentage of the main players fit. I think Aleti knocked Manchester United out. Um, now, right now, it's hard to understand what type of mentality and personality you're going to get from Atleti, and that's by their own admission. Mm -hmm. Apart from the startling results, there have been startling words for from, for example, Jimenez, the Uruguayan centre-half, who's so key to them, about all season we've been showing no personality in the first half, going down one, going down two, getting somebody sent off. Then suddenly we don't just win first balls, we win second balls and third balls. We show our personality, we show the real Atleti, we show the team that we know we are on the training ground. And then he says, we know what's wrong. <clears throat> and yet they haven't cured it. They, they, they are like reluctant lemmings. They go to the cliff edge when the date is right and they stare over and they go, no, I'm not going in. Um, it didn't quite work after two mega comebacks uh, recently, um, most importantly against uh, Valencia where they were losing at home and came back to win 3-2. Um, but it did so against Hetafe, a slightly lesser side, but nonetheless they did it last minute again. 
Didn't work for them last week against Levante at home. By far the basement side, by far the easiest side to score against Ramos 1-0. I uh, would say to you that there's been a, a confusion in Cholo Simeone's head about not simply what's his best 11, but when he's chosen an 11, what's the right formation? He oscillates. He is often using three formations within a game. If you do that, because I remember being in a conference in Berlin when Tuchel was still the Dortmund manager and talking about doing that against in-match against Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich in order to try and keep up. Yeah. So if you're doing it because you're trying to keep up and you're like, look at them changing, we have to match, fine. If you're so far ahead, like Pep was at Bayern Munich, and you're like, right, I want to change three times in the game because we can, and that'll scare the hell out of them and confuse the hell of them, fine. If you're doing it three times in a match because you've no fucking idea what your team's about, that's a problem. Rangnick scouts will have come back saying, we know where to punish them. They're worst without Trippier. If they don't have Savic and Jimenez together in the central defence, it's far more likely they lose. They've only played together, I think, 12 times. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 of those times, they've either won or drawn, largely won. The goal's against, vastly down. If Savic and Jimenez are playing, or Manchester United kind of time, largely, Atleti have a much better chance of a clean sheet and winning. You talked about Liverpool against Atleti. And there's a widespread belief in Spain <clears throat> that until Griezmann is sent off, the tie has changed so dramatically yeah. that there was a feeling that Letty were going to go on and win. Not so in, not so against 10-man um, Atleti again at Anfield. And by by the way, all blood-red fans dispute it all you like, you were going to win. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. But Atleti were playing at a level and had turned the game round sufficiently that if they played that level against Manchester United, certainly in the Metropolitan they win. One factor that's important is Griezmann. Um, he's been out for weeks. Yes. He's a vital footballer for them. He's adapt- He's readapted completely. He didn't get game time against Osasuna when he was supposed to. Does that mean he's ready to start? Does it mean he's ready for 70 minutes even against United? Well, these, these, are, these are unknowns. These are head scratchers. But I'll tell you something. It, I'll be shocked if it's dull. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, everything that we were saying at the beginning about the Champions League and the, the potential for it to not be as good and exciting as the Europa League, this does feel like the game where literally anything can happen. And may, it might even be a Europa League fixture next season. We'll have to wait and see. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. I will be looking forward to seeing you on La Liga TV over the weekend and also looking forward to hearing your opinions on these games in the future. Thanks for joining us. Nice to chat again, matey mojo. Thank you. And for all you fans out there, take care. The next European show will be in a couple of weeks' time. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.